Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. Sometimes you choose a challenge, and sometimes a challenge chooses you. We're all facing new challenges during this global pandemic. We're all stepping into a changed world. Well, if you want to set a new course in life, you want to talk to Katie Spots. At 22 years old, Katie gave herself the biggest challenge ever. She took on the Atlantic Ocean. Katie spent 70 days crossing the sea in a 19-foot-long rowboat without a follow boat spotting her. Katie's goal was to make people mindful of the global need for safe, drinkable water. Now, more people have climbed Mount Everest, about 4,000, than have rowed across the Atlantic, about 300. How does a former benchwarmer, as Katie calls herself, and the worst rower on her college team, how does somebody like that set the world record as the youngest person to row solo across the Atlantic Ocean? We're going to find out. The ocean is a great teacher, and Katie became its student. Today, Katie's going to share lessons she learned on that boat that helped her then and now, and lessons that might help you find your own way forward. Katie's the author of Just Keep Rowing, a self-empowerment book that contains 70 life lessons that parallel the number of days Katie spent alone at sea rowing across the Atlantic. Katie, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You know, Katie, we're all facing so many new challenges during this pandemic. And I've heard so many people say, it's hard, but you can do hard. How do we know that we can do hard? You're somebody that has taken on hard. And I wonder, like, how do you know what your limits are? Well, this is the gift of the challenge that any time you go through any challenge in life, it just makes you more suitable for whatever next challenge lies ahead. So it's like working out a muscle, right? Like the repetitive challenges of life that you can learn how to adapt and how to become better at facing them. So um, there's theory and then there's experience. So I just think if we all look at all the challenges we've went through in our entire life, we'd be mind boggled at everything we've gone through so far. So I, I feel like there's always hope to hold on to in, in, in moments like this and that it brings about a lot of positive changes that if we didn't go through this, we might not have, have seen. So, Well, I love that you call yourself a, a former bench warmer and that you were the worst rower because for somebody to set this record, you know, how do you go from maybe not feeling like you're the greatest at something to, to taking on a big challenge? Like, what was that bridge you crossed to go from I'm really not the best to I'm going to be the best at this? This is this was a, a detour bef- even before the row. And I was doing this program where you would study college classes during your high school years. So I did that full time. And I had to take a gym class to get my my high school diploma. And I was so frustrated by that. I was like, this is a waste of time. I have my associate's degree and now I am stuck taking a one credit hour gym class just so I could get my high school (laughs) diploma. Like, shouldn't I get a waiver? Can I run a few blocks or do something? So I, and I couldn't get out of it. So I stubbornly said, fine, if I can't, wave out of this class, then I will take the easiest class and a class I could get an A in. So it was walking and a running class. And so I was forced to take a gym class. 
And how funny is it is that, that these very things that we try to avoid are these kind of divine interventions, these divine moments where these are the very things that bring us on a path that we would never imagine. So I had to take that gym class and after a few weeks of walking and seeing how other people were running, I was like, all right, fine, I'll try. But I was a bench warmer as a kid, so I didn't want to embarrass myself. And so I was like, okay, I'll try one mile. Absolutely hated it. But then I was like, wow, that's possible for me and that's possible for us. And so it's really proving myself wrong and then having that replaced with curiosity of, we put limits on ourselves and knowingly or not, it's, it can become habit. And and I started to question that and endurance was a perfect platform to test that journey and go through that journey of, I don't think that's possible. Okay. Let's see. Let's, and, and letting that continue to evolve. And of course there's ways to take that mentality out of endurance, but I really got a lot of practice it through endurance about how to walk through I mean, I ran a marathon last week for training and I run a marathon every week for training. And um, wait a minute, you run a marathon every week? At least. Yeah. So next this week I have about a 40 mile run for training, but it was so much harder doing my first marathon. Now it's habit. Now it's muscle memory. Now I've already fought the demons of, oh, you're so ridiculous to think you could possibly do this. And I had a lot of that. I had a lot of those real mental challenges to face before I could even think about the physical challenges. And the good thing is our bodies adapt very well. And I've learned through working with coaches and just work like my own body and, and it's constantly changing, but it's definitely a journey that anyone could walk through of gradual and, you know, just gradual adaptations. And now that I've been doing this for 10 years, that's, yeah, I guess it's led me from bench warmer who could barely run a mile to now um, building up to, uh, I'm training for a 130 mile run. You say this so casually, you know, most people are like, I'm going to go run a mile. And you're like, I'm training for 130 miles. So Um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm very aware that what I'm doing, no doctor would 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 sign off and be like, that sounds like a great plan. What I'm doing is not part of general, it's excessive, but I've found a lot of joy in it. And I've found ways to minimize the risks of what I'm doing, because it is very risky. I, it's, it's, it could be very dangerous. So be careful with how I do endurance. So when you said about when the demons start talking to you, how do you answer them? Everybody hears that voice like, oh, you can't do it. Why are you bothering? What is your answer when that noise in your brain starts telling you to quit? Well, I know this is very silly, but this is kind of one of the things that I like to say when people tell me, oh, I can never run a marathon. And my first question is, oh, you've tried, which one, what marathon have you tried? And they say, well, I I didn't actually try. I was like, well, that's, that's a requirement. You actually have to try. No one just does it without trying. And then they're like, well, yeah, but, and I mean, it's just making fun of the, you of course aren't going to succeed at something you don't actually, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. So it sounds like you challenge the voice a bit. You challenge it back. I do. 
And I think meditation has given me grace with that to say, I hear what you're saying. I understand, but I'm choosing to, you know what I mean? Like it it just shifts. You learn to say, and it feels very joyful at at a certain point. Once your body adapts, it's replaced with it. It's no longer of, uh, I have to run. It's I get to run. You just kind of let it, no feeling, no matter how strong it is, lasts forever. And to be honest, I don't really face what I did when I was an early runner, but it's just patience. It's saying, this is a part of the process that sometimes we will reject the very things that are good for us or, or meant for us. So just try not to get in your own way and understand it's part of the process that I am not, I mean, I could go on about even motivation that I don't think I'm a motivated person. I just, I've recognized that motivation sometimes happens after you show up. It's kind of like your late friend to the party that (laughs) she'll show up eventually. I very rarely feel motivated to run a marathon and I've run several. So yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's just a cool self-study of like, wow, how do our brains really work when you give them challenges and meditation has helped kind of, you know, take one step away from it. So you're not so reactive that you could feel something and act in a different way. I love that motivation is your late friend to the party. I think most people think they need the motivation to get from the couch out the door, but you're saying just go do it. And then once you start moving, the motivation kicks in. And I think that we know this already. How many people have started a project or had a assignment or had a work project that you don't really want to do it. But then once you start, you're like, you get the ball rolling. You're, you're seeing a little progress. Motivation comes with movement and action. It's usually not a Nike commercial. When I wake up in the morning, I'm just like, Oh yeah, I look, I look forward to usually it's after the first three miles where I'm really kind of warmed up and settled in and I'm my head's not as like oh what am I going to do later a lot of this is being reminded of what we already know um, and what we already do and for some reason we kind of place these obstacles and, and get in our own way at least that's my experience everyone's experience is different but it's interesting that you talk about meditation as the thing that helps you bypass some of that noise. A lot of people segregate kind of meditation separate from their physical life and their, their body journey, so to speak. So tell us how you meditate and how you, do you have like a practice you do every day or how do you? meditate? Um, So there's been times where it has been more regular and I have done a lot of like the Vipassana retreats that are very um, strict and, it kind of helped me settle in. And so like these retreats would be 10 days long and meditating 12 hours a day. And I think that was really the most helpful thing as an endurance athlete, because as an athlete, I am very aware of feelings of like discomfort and it's learning how to have that kind of step away from it and to kind of continue to walk through it. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's another one when I talk to people about meditating and like 
I can never meditate. I get so distracted. I'm like, yeah, that's meditation. You just watch it and then bring it back. That's the same thing. It doesn't mean that my mind's not distracted. It means that I'm aware of being distracted. <laughs> and I love that you you even did like a meditation marathon, 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. I think that's pretty powerful. Well, my friend, we, we cycled across America together for the American Lung Association. And um, like, he's one of my best friends. And afterwards, he was in Thailand, and he was like, considering becoming a monk. And he was really diving in this, this spiritual journey. And he was at a monastery. And he did his first 10 day retreat. And he told me that it was the most difficult thing. And I was like, as someone who's biked across America with you, if you say something's hard, I'm going to believe it. So it was that kind of lured me in the the challenge of it, because I know how much you grow through going through challenges and who you are on the other side is, is not the same. And I don't know, there's this quote I put on my rowboat about the voyage of discovery is not in seeing uh, new landscapes, but it's having new eyes. And I'm very, I guess, like the psychology and the, I don't know, that's always been really fascinating for me. Well, let's talk about your rowing. So you grew up in Menor, Ohio. We have a big lake, Lake Erie, Great Lake. And in 2010, I love you paint it this way. You say you saw the rowing challenge this way. Option one, row the ocean. Option two, forever regret not doing it. So what was the moment you really decided, I am going to take on the Atlantic Ocean? I don't know, like, I, it's hard to remember a definitive moment, but it was more like a, yeah, like almost like a nagging fear that I would, I get in my head, like, I don't even know how to row a boat. Why are you bothering me idea? Like, it, <laughs> this doesn't make sense, if, especially, and I, I say this not in a way that's not honoring of, of her experience, but the last American woman to attempt it before I had was an Olympic rower. So it's like, well, that's ridiculous here. I, I don't even know how to row a boat. And I'm, I'm uh, younger. I was at the time, probably like a decade younger than most of these people who even do these things. And had my student loans. And I had, I mean, I had reasons that it was ridiculous. I, didn't want to die. I did. I, I took that very seriously. And um, I tried so hard to ignore it. And it just kept like creeping up. And it was really like the curiosity of wanting to know what what the wildlife I mean, there's nothing there's, there's nothing. There's certain experiences in life that you you can't possibly know, unless you experience it. you can't read a book and you can't talk to other people it was a god moment when something is bigger than anything you can imagine it requires you leaning on god and so i didn't know what that was at the time because i didn't have a faith life but this row has god written all over it because it was way bigger than i mean even looking at the youngest person to sail around the world the parents bought their boat and like i didn't have that kind of upbringing and I'm very glad I didn't. Um, and I, I learned how to be, you know, resourceful. And I actually, I really enjoyed like not being raised with a lot of like fancy things. So, um, yeah, but I still, that was still another challenge. Like 
money. Like at that point, the most expensive thing I ever bought was a bike for, and that was like a big deal. So (laughs) yeah, it was, it was a big thing and I tried to ignore it, but I knew I would regret it. So I just kept walking in faith. I don't know why, but I can't ignore or erase it. So you set off in a 19 foot yellow, bright yellow boat and you had no motor, no sail, just your body, your oars and the wind and the waves. And we're talking 3000 miles ahead of you. So how do you pack for a trip like this? So it's not MREs. It's the freeze dried meals. Food was like, you got to make sure you have that. And once the boat was fully loaded, it was a thousand pounds. So that's why I had like freeze dried meals and high energy, like sports drinks, chocolate bars, um, below the water line. So it didn't melt. Um, and I had some navigational gear, GPS, I had a desalinator. So that converted the salt water into drinking water. So it was for a spare oars, spare, pretty much everything, a jet boil stove, charts and uh a rotary club gave me my own like mini wilson tennis ball because (laughs) wilson yeah yeah i had my mini wilson i did have ipods so i could listen to podcasts and music and comedians and that i and then a like a it was a panasonic tough book it's a laptop that like police officers and um i had that and a satellite phone so I loved it. It's like everything I could possibly need was in arm's reach. So um, yeah, pretty basic, but I had everything I needed. So in your book, you talk about facing deadly storms. You had a fire on the boat, sleep deprivation, sunburn, blisters, bruises, a Portuguese man of war sting, 20 foot tall waves. Was there any point where you thought I was crazy to do this? What am I doing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought of that before I even left. So, of course. I mean, even before the row, I did have a a accident on Lake Erie and people were, you know, reminding me like, well, you know, it's a little bit bigger uh, than Lake Erie. So if you can't row on Lake Erie without getting in an accident, then um, why, why do you think you could do this? And I mean, it's moments like that that you really have to know who you're surrounding yourself with because moments when I was faced with some intense doubt and feelings of hopelessness, I, I, I did have a friend um, that also rode across the Atlantic and he, I mean, after I got on my, my boat accident, he was very blunt and direct. And he's like, well, you don't have to worry about cliffs in the middle of the Atlantic. Like there's not a whole lot to hit out there. You barely see any other boats and you see one once a week, there's no land in between. So there's not much to hit. You're safer in the ocean. So I was like, all right, that, that may, I will listen to that. You know what you're talking about. You've done this before. So I, I did have a few supporters and, and people who had my back and, and could help me see the truth through the noise. I mean, as devastating as some of those challenges were, knowing that someone else could get through it is really my hope and inspiration whenever doing anything. If if someone else can do it, it means that we have a chance too. And I wonder, Katie, what is it like when you're out in that ocean all alone at night? I can't imagine what the sky and the vast ocean must look like. Is there is there kind of a spiritual kind of connection that you have out there that's different than you have here? 
Oh, absolutely. It feels like it feels like it's all your own. It's like you're on this National Geographic show, except there's no cameras, there's no one else. And it's just all for you. And a part of me, like, especially at night, there were no pictures that could justify the beauty of it. And um, I felt just really lucky. I mean, of course, I didn't always feel like that. But like, I was constantly in awe of the the vastness. And it's just we live in a beautiful world with so many places to explore. And I'm humbled that I had that real firsthand. It's just you and and nature and the elements. And yeah, did things look generally the same every day? Of course. But then it was sprinkled in with dolphin visits and um, sea turtles and just moments when you were just looking for a little glimmer of hope. And then there you look up and there's the airplane that you haven't seen in a month. And yeah, I loved it. Um, and I was so busy worrying about gear and food that I wasn't really researching or, or knowing what I would see out there, but that made it even the more special because I I didn't know what to expect, <clears throat> especially at night, because it wasn't quite like life of pie, but that it would, it, if you've seen that, the movie, but it's very similar with the phosphorescence, the glowing plankton. And I thought at first I was like, wait, is this the hallucination they were like telling me about like that I might have? And it's um, a type of glowing plankton. So it was basically like fire and glitter just surrounding my boat. And I mean, that's amazing. And it's, it's activated by movement. So all around my boat and every time I'd be pulling my oar through the water at night, I'd see all that um, phosphorescence. And that was amazing. I love it. Sounds beautiful. Well, we are already at the halfway mark. So I want to pause and I want to thank you for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and to our guest, Katie Spots. I know you have many podcast choices and I'm so grateful that you chose to listen to mine. Let's talk a little bit about some of the life lessons that you, you learned on that boat. You filled a whole book, 70 life lessons, one for per day. So you went from being on this boat, depending on email, internet, GPS, you used a bucket for a bathroom, you listened to books on I, an iPod. And I love that you kept time like a prisoner. You drew lines on the inside of the boat that you named Liv? Liv, yep. Liv is Norwegian for life. And the purpose behind it, the row was called row for water. And so... um Norwegian for life, water is life, water is the source of all life, and um, it was actually already named Live because there was another ocean rower who had used it before me, so I uh, I was also a fan of the name, so. So you have a few um, lessons in your book. You won't be lonely when you learn to accept and enjoy the person you are alone with. You spent 70 days alone. What did you learn about Katie Spots? Um... I, oof, that's, that's a hard one because we're constantly learning more about ourselves. And I guess it's really like before the ocean, it, the most I had spent was what, 24 hours by myself. And even in those meditation retreats, there are other people around. So being alone, I had a fear about that. Like what, what, what will happen if you're just alone with your thoughts and you're alone and you don't have anyone. And um, as far as away as I was, I still felt connected. So to others and connected to our world. And so 
I guess no matter how far you go, you can't erase these deep connections we have with each other. Those don't go away. And, you know, you could be intensely with someone in, in, in mind and heart. In terms of what did I learn about myself? I guess there's another part of the row that I need to be more real about. I packed some sleeping medication because I anticipated that I wouldn't be able to sleep. I packed only maybe a week's worth um, because I didn't want to become reliant on sleeping medication. And so um, a month in, I'm out. So I have no guaranteed sleep for two more, up to two more months. So my state of mind was very much in kind of a survival, you know, when people would assume I was filled with fears and stuff like that, like, yes, I have fear and I could use it to act accordingly, but I was so physically exhausted that I did at moments and periods, it was very zombie-like, like just, if you would ask me if I'm afraid, I'm like, I don't know. I don't have energy to be afraid. You That requires energy. Like I'm using all the energy I have and I can't even sleep after using it all. So, um, so it's kind of like a survival mode kind of kicks yeah. in. Yeah. I'm glad that that exists. So that's not a thriving type environment. Like I was very glad I decided to go alone because I don't know if they'd still be friends with me with like just being cranky and um I don't know smelly and just not a good conversationalist just not uh I don't know I learned that you can uh you could keep going even though you know you're in that little zombie like mood and mindset and I don't know I guess I I learned more about what that feels like because very rarely will you be I mean, maybe if you're parenting, you know a lot about sleep deprivation, but up until that <laughs> point, it, I never really knew what that was like. It's terrible, like just being so tired that you can't sleep and so restless. And as an athlete, I know the biggest thing is really sleep to recover. So yeah, I just got to learn more about that. I guess sometimes when I do these challenges, I I think it's like a a learn for all like hey I'm learn I'm learning what's capable and accessible for all of us that we can face things we can overcome things we can do things but it was more about exploring our world and you know our own capabilities than who am I because I really didn't know who I was until I kind of had a found a relationship with God to, to even answer that question. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. Let me finish one more lesson you said in your book. The worst time to make a decision is when you're low. That's when the water ruined your bag of chocolates and you wanted to quit. And you wrote, sometimes you survive simply by not making the decision to quit. Tell us about that moment. You, you packed 3,000 chocolate bars. What happened? Oh, uh. Well, yeah, I did pack a lot of chocolate bars, but I liked Snickers the best. And how, I mean, how do you motivate yourself to do endurance challenges? You have the fancy medals and you have the cheering fans and you have 
Um, you know, you just have a lot. You have a bed that's comfy to sleep in after. You have a an ice cream. You, I mean, I was I was on the equator, so it was very hot. Um, so you just have friends to celebrate with. What did I have? I didn't have any of that. I had some chocolate bars. That was my way of celebrating a few podcasts. So there were times where when something as small as the one thing that you're just like holding on to and it's gone, it's like, well, now where do I find my motivation? And so it is a very childlike, you know, desperate kind of place to be in, but there were certain ways of packing things, but when you're out at sea for several months, of course I had anticipated some things would go bad, but when I realized those Snickers were gone, I was just like, I don't know. It was just really breaking point. It's like Wilson when the ball floated away in uh, the Tom Hanks movie. (laughs) I feel like what, didn't they used to have commercials about like when you, uh, who you become without a Snickers bar? Like it just, (laughs) and you became that moment. It's like, okay, two more months, but yeah. Katie, tell us the moment you started the trip excuse me, what city you started in, what country, and where you ended. And give us a little picture of the send-off and then the arrival. Can you kind of paint a picture of the moment you left and the moment you finished? So I left from Dakar, Senegal. So if you look at a map of Africa, it's the most Western part. And it is a very popular, um, like a commercial port. So a lot comes in and out. There's not other yachts or anything. It's just mainly for shipping. And Dakar also has has water issues. And um, I was hosted by a Rotary family with a, there's Rotary clubs all around the world. And um, it's a service organization and they were kind enough to host me. So that was my farewell party, the uh, Rotary Club of uh, Dakar, Senegal out of that that port. And then there's there's nothing nothing in between there's no stops there's no islands so i had originally planned on landing in french guiana but because of those 20 25 foot waves i realized i need a a tow without uh to to land without crashing into a cliff or crashing and i wanted it to be self supported so i did end up in guyana which worked out really well because it it was the only English speaking country in South America. Um, And that was a little bit different. There was a lot of, uh, there were boats out and there was like a welcome, welcoming party. And a lot of people were there to greet me in. So it was, it was very overwhelming, but very um, kind of them to, to have that kind of welcome for for me. And it was really the uh, tourism department that kind of took the lead um, as well as some rotary clubs in the area that, that uh, supported it at the end. And when you came back, you're on all the TV shows, you're getting all the spotlight and the buzz and the attention, the youngest person to row across the Atlantic. And then you hit like kind of a, a low with all of that, that, that a big achievement stopped. And what happened? So I, I think that one of the biggest um, challenges of endurance challenges is not doing the thing. It's not having the thing anymore, right? So there's a real sense of loss, even if you're successful, because you no longer have 
your purpose. And I found purpose primarily through helping others and through endurance challenges and, and using both of those passions to, to do that, to eat like the row raised over a hundred thousand dollars and a lot of the other different challenges um, to date have, have raised 400,000. I started to struggle through depression and I started feeling like, so what, right? Like I could help people get clean water and I have clean water and they might feel as kind of low as I do. So I knew that there were, there, there was a spiritual lack and need because I was experiencing it. So I started feeling a little disillusioned by even the charitable aspect of what I was doing. Sure. Is there's no, I've never debated anyone about the need and, and for clean water. I, I think no one's going to say, Oh, I don't think people should have clean water. Yeah, we should have clean water. (laughs) like and if you don't believe it then don't drink clean water and see what happens like we all we all should get this clean water but like so so you had this kind of mission about helping people with water and you had the mission being on the boat and then at some point you really sort of felt this emptiness and you came to find a new relationship with god that has kind of become your new adventure can you tell us a little bit about that it's a spiritual adventure so i was raised Catholic and it was more a, a rule. Um, and it it wasn't something that I fully embraced and adopted. And as someone who can be quite rebellious and wanting to discover things on my own, it was hard for me to fully embrace what my parents were, the environment and, and what they were trying to give really give to me to give me a an opportunity to have a relationship with God. I think there are a lot of things that held me prevented me from 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 turning to God. It's it's well I'm doing good without God. Why do I need, you know, I think independence is a huge barrier and obstacle between knowing God because you don't feel your own um need for that, but when you keep trying to fill a need and it's not being fulfilled, then it's kind of like I came to that realization that it's not being filled because it's not being filled with the right thing. And I, I think it's, I mean, I'm within the last three years have um, become Christian and I'm still learning about what that means, but it's not so much that my life looks hugely different, but it's just the order of importance that things place. Endurance isn't my God anymore. And I think if you don't have a relationship with God, something becomes it. And it's kind of that thing that you can't imagine not being, not, not having. Um, Maybe it's your job as your God or your hobbies or your family. And um, those are great things. And those are gifts but if you're putting them before as number one, I think the order of importance is where I was getting it all wrong because um, I didn't know how to steward what was what was in front of me. So sounds like an interesting new adventure for you. Absolutely, and one that every day I feel like I'm learning more. And you know, you yeah. had 
you had sent me a little video before we, uh, the interview here, and uh, you mentioned in it, no words justify how good and amazing God is. We get to constantly witness God's love for us. If that's not an adventure, I don't know what is. And from somebody who's done all these adventures, it sounds like you're kind of at the start. Um, Katie, I want to thank you for being on the show. You're now in Maine and you're working at the, uh, you're in the Coast Guard. Yes. Yep. I am stationed here for the next three years. I joined a couple of years ago and I, I love it. So. And you have a challenge coming up, uh, I think September. That's right. Is that still on? Labor Day across the entire state of Maine. Is that what I hear? Yes. Yeah. It's to raise $10,000 for a uh, water charity that's helping a community in Tanzania. And it'll be 130 miles nonstop. So I anticipate it taking about 30 hours uh, to make it across. Wow. Well, we'll be with you in spirit. One last thing you had said once your graduation advice, I think I wrote in a column, it could be summed up in two sentences. Find your ocean, then keep rowing. I think that's just beautiful, Katie. Um, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Uh, Katie, tell us the best way to connect with you on your website and on social media. You have a website. It's just Katie Spots. At Twi- I'm on, um, I have katiespots.com, the website, which I have some blogs that I'll be sharing. And that's where you can find my route and everything for the run. And then I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. And if, so. and if people want to donate to your water charities, they can do so on your website, katiespots.com. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Well, my biggest takeaway today is to really not wait for the motivation to motivate you, but just to take the action and the motivation will be the late guest to the party. That's really powerful. Uh, Katie, I want to close with your answer to this question. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have? Attitude. That's just like, it's a choice. Um, and it's just like working out at the gym. It's, it's a working your mind out and, and choosing to see the positive and choosing to hold on to hope. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter, so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.